0: Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Well, good morning, Connect Church. Hey, listen, how many of you are grateful today that the hope we have is not a dead hope that lies in a grave somewhere over in Jerusalem, but the hope that we have is in Jesus who is alive and well and that he's our living hope today. Aren't you grateful for Jesus? Our team did such a good job leading us out. Welcome to Connect Church, where it is our heartbeat to connect everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. We often say this about Connect Church. We are not a museum for people merely to come and see. We are a movement of God to mobilize His church to take ministry outside of these walls and into the marketplace of our everyday lives. And Sunday mornings are a big part of that. We are so glad that you are here. I want to say a special welcome to the Presley family over here. There all the way from Charlotte, North Carolina, or the church we left to come here and to plant Connect Church. And they're part of the big reason it was so hard to leave. So couldn't we welcome them all the way uh, from Charlotte today? And no matter where you come from, it is so good to have you. We had a great week in the life of our church. This past week was our annual Kiker Farms event at the Corn Maze. And, man, we had such a good time. So grateful uh, for all of you who were able to make it out. In fact, I think we have a a highlight video of Kiker Farms. It really doesn't show anything but our lead deacon's wife trying out a zip line that was made for a child. If you would, please take a look at this. (laughs) Hey, ladies and gentlemen. That's not how zipline works, okay? And uh, I use that with her permission. Uh, we go way back, but man, we had a, a great time. And before we get started in our message today, I have a great introduction to do. So uh, we left Kacker Farms just a little bit early as a family uh, because we had the joy to welcome in my newest niece. And this is Felicity June Kendall. Now, you guys know Pastor Dominic. Not only is our youth pastor, but he's also my brother. And on Wednesday night she had Meredith had this little girl you ready in her home not at the hospital in her bedroom at her house and the baby is isn't she just cute and man they make good looking babies and we we love this little girl i mean she is uh, she's six pounds nothing and she is just the cutest little thing and so uh dominic and meredith i know are watching today we give dads um quite a bit of time for paternal leave when they have babies so they can spend time um helping their wives Meredith actually already called me back and said hey could you actually get him to work but anyway but when he's off there he'll be gone for the next couple of weeks But hey, can we send some love to them over our live stream? And what's amazing is I'm already her favorite uncle by far. But anyway, hey, listen. Man, we we want to talk through today a term that has made its round in the Christian world. Uh, A term that maybe you're not familiar with or maybe you've heard read in different things. But a term that's very important to our message today. And it's this terminology right here. uh, Functional atheism. Functional atheism. And today there's many various definitions out there in the Christian world and in the secular world. But I wanted to take a moment, just kind of give you my definition, a definition of what functional atheism looks like. And here it is, you ready? Functional atheism is when a believer knows the gospel is true, knows that people are living and dying apart from Christ. Yet he or she functions in their day to day life as if such truths are inconsequential, as if such facts have no effect on their day to day relationships and lives. That right there, church family, is the definition of functional atheism. At the end of the first service, I had a 24 year old lady come up to me and she said, Pastor Anthony, I have lived my entire life as a functional atheist. And today at the end of the service, I I prayed with you and I gave my heart and my life to Jesus. So I just couldn't do it anymore. That defined my life. And you say, well, Anthony, listen, functional atheism, can Christians get there? Absolutely. Man, we can can live out being a functional atheist in our own lives as well. And you go, well, wait a second, man. This is just too big of a job. There are too many people who both live and die apart from Christ. What kind of difference can I make? There are too many people who are lost, a world that is too broken. What kind of difference can you and I make at all? I'm so glad you asked that question this morning because in the Gospel of John, we are going to answer that question today. Uh, There's a story, you perhaps have heard it, of an old man who was walking along the beach. One day, it was early in the morning and off in the distance as the surf was coming in and out. He noticed the silhouette of a little boy running in and out with the water. And he saw that that little boy was picking something up and throwing something back into the ocean. And and as he got closer, he realized that there were hundreds, if not thousands of starfish that had washed up on shore during the tide. And then he began to notice the futility of the work the little boy was doing is that he was picking up one starfish at a time and throwing it back into the ocean before they died. Well, as the man got closer to the little boy, he called out to him. It said, son, what, what are you doing? You're crazy, there's, there's so many starfish and you're just one little boy. You can't save them all. Surely most of them are, are gonna die. What difference can you make? And then the little boy picked up another starfish from the ground, threw it into the ocean, and said, you know what, I made a difference for this one. He picked up another starfish and threw it back into the ocean and said, well, I made a difference for this one. You know, sometimes we get lost in the complexity of this planet, thinking there's no way you and I can win the world for Jesus when the truth is is that every single one of us can win one for Jesus. And so I have a question for you, church. Who's your one? Who's your one? I can't get the gospel to everybody, but you can get the gospel to To somebody who's your one. You say, what do you mean by one? What I mean by one is the person who's close to you and yet far from Jesus. The person close to you but far from Jesus who's your one. Well, today we jump back in to the Gospel of John. This morning, we're going to begin to see this gospel writer as he continues to highlight the life and the work of John. And not just any John, but John the Baptist. And in today's text, we see a shift, a shifting of, of focus from John the Baptist to those who follow John, his disciples, and what they did with Jesus. What would they do when Jesus came onto the scene? Now listen, this is per design because John the Baptist begins fading into the background as Jesus starts taking center stage. Remember, John the Baptist is the forerunner to the frontrunner who is Jesus. John is living out chapter 3 verse 30 of the gospel of John. He must become greater, I must become less. John the Baptist is living out more of Jesus than less of John. And we see that played out in the text today. Watch this in John chapter one. If you have your Bibles, starting in verse 35, it says the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, hey look, fellas, hey boys, look. The Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, listen, they followed Jesus. Man, they stopped what they were doing and they follow Jesus. Here again, John continues in his calling, pointing others, even his followers, to Jesus. Look, fellows, See him? That is the Lamb of God. Now, two weeks ago, we walked through the significance of this phrasing, Jesus as the Lamb of God. If you'll remember, lambs played a vital role in the worship services in the temple. You see, every morning and every evening, there was a sacrifice made. A, a lamb was sacrificed, and its blood was used to cover the sins of the people of God. And who can forget that moment? In Exodus chapter 12, as God would begin to punish Pharaoh and Egypt for the Pharaoh's hardened heart, God was going to send a death angel, but before he did, he told his people, Take the blood of a lamb and put it on your doorpost of your home so that when the death angel comes by, it'll pass over your home. The people of God did that. God saved them. The angel passed over, and the people of God were saved. You know what John is conveying yet again? is what he conveyed just a couple of verses earlier than this. In verse number 29, this is the Lamb of God, watch this, who takes away the sins of the world. You know, church, if the Lord tarries in his return, meaning this, if I were to close my eyes in death before Jesus comes again, I often think about that first day, that first breath, the first moment in heaven. But can I tell you what I'm convinced? I'm convinced that I'm not going to hear something. I'm convinced that when I get to heaven one day, when I close my eyes in death in this life and open them in eternal life in Christ, I I don't think I'm going to get to heaven one day and somebody's going to shout from the crowd, hey, Anthony, how many sermons did you preach to get here? I don't think there's going to be somebody going, hey, how many people did you lead to Christ to get here? How many baptisms did you have to make it? How big was your church? No, I think that God will welcome me home one day. And as I stand before his presence because of Jesus, he's going to welcome me home and go, wait a second, something's on him. Why, it's it's the blood of the Lamb. My my son's blood is on him. Welcome home, my child. And all that at that moment I would hear from him. What I try so hard to live in this life. (laughs) Well done, good and faithful servant. But I'm going to tell you something. That moment will not come to be because of anything special I have done, but because of the shed blood of the Lamb of God who takes away my sin and your sin and the very sins of the world. Because of Jesus. Look, fellas. John the Baptist says, the Lamb of God. But I want you to hear me. They, they not only looked... But in verse 37, we find out this, that they they follow Jesus. Now, let me tell you something. John chapter 1, verse 37 was written, and it was hard to believe, before social media, before Facebook and Instagram. It was written when following someone meant much more than just clicking a button online. Or following somebody actually meant physically following after them. Hey, can I remind you of something? about our faith, about Christianity. And that is this, Christianity is not some set of teachings to understand. It is a person to follow. Christianity is just not some, some thought line, some intellectual exercise that we have. Christianity at its heart, our faith at its heart, is a person to follow. And they followed Jesus that day, John's disciples did. Let's pick, out, pick back up of verse 38. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, Hey, boys, what do you want? Hey, fellas, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I mean, are they confused? Is he at the Holiday Inn up at the exit? Like, where, where's Jesus at? Is that what they're really after is his location? No. You see, their question was a courteous way in that day of asking Jesus, hey, w- would it be okay if we come and spend some time with you? Hey, Jesus, where, where are you staying? Well, what it really meant was, hey, Jesus, do you, have, do you have a few minutes where we could just ask you some, some questions? Oh, the beauty of that question. Because you know what it also signaled? You know what it also signified? Their openness and their willingness to follow Jesus. Man, my kids have got this all figured out. If y'all had kids, you know something, right? Their questions are loaded. There are always ulterior motives, don't you? Hey, so I, 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 my kids do this all the time. When they're at their Mimi's house, or say, they'll go to Mimi and go, Hey, Mimi, what are you doing today? You know what that means? It doesn't mean what you're doing today because they care. It means, can I hang out with you and spend my entire day with you? Right? There's an ulterior motive in that. Like, I want to spend my day with you, Mimi. What are you doing today? The same is true about this question. There are some ulterior motives here. I Jesus, we want to spend some time with you. Can we? See, there was more to Andrew and John's question than meets the eye. Hey, real quick, before we kind of advance in the text, can I ask you a question that Jesus asked the disciples that day? What do you want with Jesus. What do you want with him? Hey, do you want to just, you want to really follow Jesus or you just want to be a fan of his? Hey, do you want just enough Jesus to keep you out of the hot place but not really enough Jesus to change your life? Or do you desire Jesus to be your life? Hey, what do you want to do with Jesus in your life? You see, it's a, a question that all eternity hangs in the balance for you and for me. And how that's answered. Watch this in verse 39 as we continue in the text. And Jesus speaking, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. <laughs> Watch, here's the, what Jesus has given them what they want. And they spent what? That day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. You see, Jesus here gives the first of two. Come and see moments in John chapter one. Jesus extends this invitation to Andrew and John. John, the disciple who Jesus loved, the author of this gospel we are reading, he extended them the invitation to spend time with him, and and they did. You know what, I get to thinking, how many times have I turned Jesus down on that? In my every day. How many times have I just turned him down? He said, come on, come and see. And I was just too busy. Now, as we read this part of the gospel, if you've read the other gospels like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you're going to realize something's off right here. There's a timing that just doesn't add up. And so let's take a moment to address this. Um, Norman Geisler in his work, When Critics Ask, points out a potential problem here in the text. You see, John records... The calling of Andrew and Peter and John and Philip and Nathaniel at this early point. However, the other Gospels in places like Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 5, put the calling of the disciples much later in Jesus' ministry. So there's a potential problem. You go like this, well, man, what do we do with that? Well, Let me remind you, let me give you a good hermeneutic or a Bible study uh, tool right here, and that is this. That the Word of God always has a solution for what appears at the beginning to be a problem. The Word of God always has and offers a solution. You see, John, in, in John chapter 1, indicates just Jesus' initial interview of the disciples, not their permanent calling. As a result of this first contact, they only stayed with Jesus, what the text says, for the day in verse 39, after which they return to their, their homes and their normal jobs. Whereas the other Gospels pick up later on down the road when these disciples kind of leave their homes and leave their jobs. And you know what? They are full-time disciples and followers of Jesus. But you know what I keep thinking? What a day that must have been. You know, Scripture doesn't tell us what that day looked like for Andrew and John as they sat with Jesus. Hey, what what a Bible study led by Jesus that must have been. You know what I can imagine Jesus did? was that Jesus took the Old Testament Scriptures and he sat with him there at the Holiday Inn. and He opened them up and he began to read dozens and dozens of verses about the coming Messiah, the, the promised Savior. And then you know what? Around four that day, I can imagine Jesus going, hey, fellas, look up here. The one we have read about, the one you have known about and waited for, It's me. The wait is over. Look no further. It is me after this Bible study we can tell it makes a difference watch what happens here in the life of Andrew the first thing Andrew did verse 41 teaches us is that he found his brother Simon to tell him we have found the Messiah by the way five words we have found the Messiah that is the Christ and watch this he brought him to Jesus (laughs) he brought him to Jesus I'm going to say it one more time he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, took his name, Simon, who was son of John, and changed his name to Peter because Peter's life would never be the same. I want you to notice Andrew's first response, his first reaction to the good news of the gospel that Jesus is piecing together. And that is this, his deep desire for someone he loves to find Jesus. A deep desire. For his brother to come to Jesus. For Andrew, his one was Simon Peter. Now notice that he didn't bring Peter to church. He didn't invite Peter to an event. He brought Peter to Jesus. There is no functional atheism apparent in Andrew's life. Just a strong desire and a willingness to bring his one to Jesus. I've got another question that we find coming out of the Gospel of John, and that is, who is your one? Who is your one? For Andrew, it was Peter. Who is your one? Here's the challenge of today's message, and that is simply this. You ready? It is time that as believers we do away with functional atheism, and we become faithful Andrews whose heartbeat it is to bring people to Jesus. Heartbeat to see people find Jesus. But anything, listen, I, I'm not a preacher. I, I'm not a really good communicator. I don't get paid to do this. And so, man, it's just really, it's too hard. And then we remember what one author noted, and that was this about the text. It was only five words. Now, no, no, look, stop with the excuses for a moment. It was five words. Five words, yet God used it to win Peter. This teaches us, this author noted, that we do not have to be great preachers or clever speakers. We need only to tell men about the Lord Jesus in simple words, and God will take care of the rest. Don't believe me? Let let me show you a text thread. This Happened back in August between the deacons and the elders or the pastors connect church. We just we're all on a text there We communicate that way our lead deacon Let me give you some context here. It was his wife who was dragging her hind in on the ground right uh, in the earlier video Uh, Joey our lead deacon sent this to us in August. He said wanted to share with you guys one of the workers at the daycare where my kids go called Jordan after the kids got off the bus Tristan had told the worker that he was able to lead a friend of his to Christ. Tristan told the worker that the friend knew who Jesus was, but didn't know what it meant to be saved. And so he explained it to him and prayed with him, super proud of him. You know old Tristan is? He's 10 years old. He's 10 years old. And as we celebrated, and I didn't share the whole text, but I mean all of us, Dude, this is incredible. This is amazing. I was hit with a sobering reality that at 10 years old, that Tristan will have shared the gospel and led more people to Jesus than some of the oldest people in the church today. That Tristan already knows what it means To be a faithful and true, and even at a young age, is not satisfied with functional atheism. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are in this place today, you can exchange functional atheism for being a faithful and true. I'm going to tell you, Andrew and John, back to the text. They thought, man, we have found the Messiah. But in reality, the gospel reminds us, no, it was Jesus who found them. And isn't that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That the God who created you sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for your sins. Three days later, Jesus would rise from the grave. And by faith and trust in him, not only do we have new life, But life everlasting with God, our Father, and our Creator. Hey, you ready? What good news in a world filled with bad news. But can I remind you something about this news? The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Don't miss out on that. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. I heard the story about a young man who applied to be an usher in a local movie theater. And so as he's going through this interview process, they they talk to him about many of the responsibilities of the job, and then they have this situational awareness discussion with him. For instance, what would you do if this problem arose? What, What would you do if this happened? And the final question in the interview for this young man who wanted to be an usher in the movie theater was, hey, let me ask you this. What would you do in the case of a fire? And that young man looked at him and kind of laughed a little bit and said, hey, look, don't you worry about me. I can get out of the fire. And the interviewer's like, no, no. Your job's to be an usher. Your job is to help get other people out of the fire. There are so many in the church today who when it comes to Jesus, hey, don't you worry about me. I got Jesus. He's going to get me out of the fire. And we fail to realize that we're the ushers. That God has called and saved to help get others out of the fire. You see, functional atheism Sometimes takes hold more than we give it credit to. You say anything, listen, I like the fire and illustration, it was good, and, and Tristan, that really kind of kicks you in the guts, are good. But how do I help people escape the fire? Tristan had a playground conversation, Andrew used five words. And so let me bring something to the table, and let me share the gospel with you using three circles. This three circles illustration is not mine. I've changed it a little bit, but you'll find on the screen they'll show it to you. You Can you can download the app? You don't even have to draw this out, but you can. You can take a napkin or a piece of paper towel. You can take a dry erase board. Doesn't matter. And you can find a way to have a gospel conversation and share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus with your one. And so let me share this with you real quick and I'll give the camera a chance uh, to focus in here. Watch this, you ready? We begin here. And that is this. that if we just simply look around, there's one thing that becomes evident to us that we live in a world that is filled with brokenness. Hey, don't believe me? Explain to me disease and disasters and, and droughts and famines and wars and hatred and racism and murder and evil and crime. Hey, listen, you don't have to believe like I do, but we can both come to the same conclusion that we live in a world that is filled with brokenness. And then the question comes, how did we get here? How did we get into so much brokenness. Well, the Bible teaches us that God had a design. And this design was not full of disease and disasters and drought and famine and war and hatred and racism and evil and murder and all of those things. Rather, God's design was that you and I would live forever with Him in this incredible love relationship. But you see, something happened. And that something is, is that all of us, at some point in our lives, we have run from God's design. We have rebelled against God. We, we've said, you know what, God, I know you're God, but, but I'm going to go my own way. I, I know what your word has to say, but you know what, I, I'm going to do me, you do you. And we have run, and we have rebelled Against God. And you know what? That has plunged us into brokenness. That running and that rebellion, its name is sin. And here's what we try to do in this life. We we try to find ways out of the brokenness, right? We we try to find ways out of brokenness through relationships. We we try to find ways out of the brokenness through drugs and alcohol. We try to find ways out of the brokenness through success and popularity and and money. We might try to find ways out of the brokenness that might look like busyness or just trying to get the job done. And, And in all these ways we try to find to get out of brokenness, we realize this, that we are still in brokenness. That there's seemingly no way out. But I wonder, God and His design, I wonder if God can provide a way out from the brokenness. And you know what we realize? That God did. That God did provide a way out. How did he do that? Well, that leads us to this third circle. And this circle is called the gospel, which means good news. It's the good news that the God who created us sent his son Jesus to earth. He died upon the cross for our sins, and on the third day later, he rose again, so that by you and I, by placing our faith and our trust in him, we could have a relationship with God the Father. If we would but just turn from our sins and trust in Jesus, that means this, giving Jesus our very hearts and our lives. Let me give you a picture of that. That means this, making Jesus the king of our hearts and our lives that by faith we could be saved from the very brokenness that our sin has caused. The Bible tells us that because of Jesus, we can have new life outside of this brokenness in Christ. And as we continue to grow and as we continue to follow Jesus, we begin to discover God's design again for our lives. And we begin to take our lives and to place it right in the center of God's will. And here's the beauty of the gospel. You ready? Then God sends us back right into the middle of the brokenness of other people to say, hey, I found the way out. And his name is Jesus. Hey, would you turn from your sin and would you trust him? Would you make Jesus the king of your heart and life today? And then I ask them this question. Are you here? Or is your life here? Where are you? And then you know what? After a conversation like that, Somebody might say, they're right here, man, we, we continue to disciple. But if someone says, you know what, I think I'm in this circle. Then you have already shared the good news of the gospel with them. And you are simply inviting them. Then why not give your life to Jesus? But Anthony, what they say, they want to. What do I do there? Hey, if you've been to Connect Church more than one time, every single Sunday morning, every time I preach the gospel, every time we gather together and the word of God is sung and preached, Man, I lead the entirety of our crowd through a prayer. Now listen, if you're not careful, most believers check out there because, man, it's not for me. Don't you check out. Every week, you hear out loud what it is to lead someone who's in their brokenness to placing their faith and their trust in Jesus. You know, Tristan had a, a playground at a school, and Andrew had five words. I use three circles to show you that maybe, just maybe, being an Andrew is not the hardest thing on the planet. Bringing people to Jesus isn't as complicated as we like to excuse it away to be. By the way, I took Aaron out to lunch this past week. We were over at Trotters. And they had a paper towel roll. That's my wife, Erin. And and so I rode out the three circles on a paper towel roll and shared the gospel with her. I'm going to tell you, she's this close, right? She's this close to saying, yeah, so y'all pray for her. But, man, we had a chance in just a few minutes. Was able just to practice a little bit for today and to share the gospel with my wife. You see, functional atheism is when a believer knows the gospel is true, knows that people are living and dying apart from Jesus, And yet, we function in our day-to-day lives as if such truths are inconsequential, as if such facts have no effect on our day-to-day relationship and lives. Are you a functional atheist today? Or are you a faithful and true? You can't kind of be in the middle you're either one or you are the other now, mama, I see you taking a picture of my board up here let me let me share with you. our team has put this on Infocc.org. you can actually there's a little app there there's an app you don't even have to color the thing you just press the app and it does the circles for you mom I'm going to encourage that for you and so and so you just use the app and it goes through and I sent some videos hey by the way you can go to our YouTube channel you can go to our Facebook you can rewatch this service wait till the chubby guy always in a black shirt is on the screen you go to this part in the message and you can hear it again and you can realize man if that guy can do it then I can do it But are you ready to exchange functional atheism for being a faithful answer? Hey, can I uh, I show you this quote that my pastor said just a few weeks ago, Pastor Andy Davis? He was preaching in Seymour, and he said this, and it just wrecked me. He said, we cannot be a dry-eyed church in a hell-bound world. I'm going to tell you what the biggest problem in America is. It's not only is there a watering down of the truth of the gospel, but we got too many churches and too many church members with dry eyes. Too many operating as functional atheists as if people aren't living and dying without Jesus every single day. Hey, can I ask you, when was the last time you ever cried out to God and shed a tear for someone who doesn't know Jesus? When was the last time you ever thought about, strategize how you can have a conversation with your one? I want to close with this. In 1914, just two years after the Titanic sank, There was another passenger ship that sank as well. The Ireland Express over the Atlantic Ocean. Late one night in the middle of its voyage, it was enveloped by a dense fog. Well, at that time, there was also another vessel, a much heavier vessel that was passing the Ireland Express in the middle of the night, and they collided in the dense fog. The other ship cut a 350-foot gash into the side of the Ireland Express, causing this ship to sink within just 15 minutes. When the two vessels collided, it was very quickly known that the ship would not stay above water for long. And so people frantically began to search for life vests. But then they came to a terrifying reality. There were not enough life vests. For everyone on the ship people were terrified it was dark and it was cold and it was loud the night with the wailing of people and there were not enough life vests but you know what was on board over a hundred salvation army officers these men it was their job to take the gospel to the hopeless and tell them there's hope to reach out to the helpless and to let them know that in Christ there is help for them. Really, their job was to share the good news of the gospel with a lost and dying world. All of them near their quarters had life vests. But with the very few survivors who did live that day, they told a harrowing tale that as the ship was going down, over a hundred of these Salvation Army officers these believers these boys took their life jackets and began putting them on other people women and children and even strong men they were putting these life jackets and fastening them on strong men and the men would resist no no you take the life jacket and do you know what they said to each and every person who tried to resist no 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 i can die better than you i I can die better than you. And over 100 bodies of those Salvation Army officers, those believers, those boys were recovered, having died, and not a single one of them had a life vest on. Because I can die better than you. We live in a world with a whole lot of people we can die better than. Now how can you, how can you say that? Do you want know, to know how I can say that? Because when I was 15 years old, Jesus saved me so that death cannot touch me, the grave cannot hold me, and that Jesus has taken the sting of death away. I can die better than you. To my one, in fact, I have a couple of ones. If given the chance to take, to have my very own life taken for theirs, take it. Because I can die better than them. You could die better than them. But Here's the problem. We're not willing to take off that vest of comfort zone, and security, and and safety, hey, God forbid, God forbid we have an awkward conversation with somebody, can you hear, can you hear Andrew, now, now listen Peter, I, I don't want to have an awkward conversation with you, so I'm not going to Say anything about you. Look, you, you go and you spend your life and you die apart from Christ. See where that gets you, but for the sake of me not having an awkward moment with you, I'm just going to leave that be. No, listen. Hey, Peter, you take the life vest. It is time that as a church we realize hey, hey, world, I can die better than you. And we take off that vest of that comfort zone and that security. And we do everything we can to bring people to Jesus. Just like those boys did that faithful night. Are you ready to exchange your functional atheism for being a faithful Andrew? If you don't know Jesus, I die for you for you to find him. I honestly believe I would. But can I tell you something I wouldn't do for you? Can I tell you something that I absolutely wouldn't do? picture of my boy yesterday at the ball game. I'd die for you. but I would not give my son's life for you. I'd do anything, but I would not let my little boy, who I love so much, die for you. I couldn't do it. I won't do it. Then I realized that's exactly what God did. God gave his little boy So that we could have a relationship with him so that our sins could be forgiven and why would God do that because you were his one and I am his one and I'm gonna tell you church if what God did for us in Christ Is not motivation enough? No amount of preaching, no amount of illustrations, no amount of stories will ever move you from functional atheism to being a faithful and true. God gave us His boy so that we might have life. Who's your one? Let's pray together. As we pray this morning, and believers in just a minute, Zach's going to come up, just him and the keyboard, and they're going to sing just a couple of choruses from, let me tell you about my Jesus. seems kind of fitting, you know, this message like today. All around this room and all around you are little ping pong balls. Take a moment, find one next to you. There's Sharpies everywhere. If you look on your seat and you don't see a ping pong ball, that probably means that that ping pong ball has met its end underneath your rear end. And so just try to find another one because you know what's going to happen in just a minute? I'm going to ask you to take a sharpie and take a ping pong ball and I'm going to ask you to write down the initials or the name of your one. Who's the person you know that is close to you but far from Jesus? And in a minute, as we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to pray for them. For some of y'all, as we did in the earlier service, you need to come up here, get on your knees and, and cry out, God, would you save them? And would you use me? And so, believer, I want you to begin to think of one. You go, man, Anthony, I don't know. I've got to put some thought here. And that's okay, because you know what? We're continuing on in this series next week. We still to have ping pongs available next week in Sharpies.